please turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 31. John 20, 1 to 31. Here's, here's what we're going to be doing this morning. We are, we are going to take a look at redemption as, as spoken of in the Bible in three very key areas. Now, if you could just, just kind of track with me for a moment, I'm going to set up where we're going here in this message. We're going to take a look at the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension of Christ through the lens of the resurrection of Christ. So, so what, what, what John, the evangelist, is trying to do by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is give us an account of Jesus' resurrection that links his resurrection with his crucifixion and, and then links his resurrection with his ascension. So stay with me as we look at this. It's not just going to be a pure history of Christ's resurrection. It's going to be Christ's resurrection referencing his crucifixion, which occurred three days earlier, and anticipating his ascension, which is going to take place about 50 days later. So we have crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, the three of them. If we look at the gospel, all that's missing here from the gospel is Christ's life and incarnation. So if someone were to ask you, what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus Christ, his his supernatural birth as God-man, his incarnation, his perfect life on this earth, and then what we spoke of last week, his crucifixion, his death on a cross. He died on the cross to take the wrath of God for our sins. And now today's message, his resurrection, he, he raised from the dead that our sins might be forgiven and that we might have hope. He raised from the dead that our sins might be forgiven, we might have hope. He, he died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, but his resurrection is vital. Without the resurrection, our sins aren't forgiven. And then he ascends into heaven so that he might give us the Holy Spirit. There's the gospel. Now today, John, of all the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he tells us this He recounts this historical fact in such a way that is very theological, that ties the resurrection with the crucifixion and anticipates the ascension and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So stay with me. Stay with me. You ready? All right, here we go. Here we go. The official beginning of the the message, now that you've had that uh, pre-message talk. All right, you're at John 20. Just listen to this illustration. Hopefully this will help you. 30 years ago this week, on February 22, 1980, Team USA defeated the mighty Soviet hockey machine at the Lake Placid Winter Olympics. This victory was voted the greatest sports moment 
in the 20th century by Sports Illustrated and has been called the miracle on ice. The Soviets were a professional team, the best hockey team in the world at the time, and Team USA was made up of a bunch of amateur college players. In exhibitions that year, the Soviet national team had routed the National Hockey League All-Stars, made up of professionals, six to nothing to win the Challenge Cup. In the last exhibition game in Madison Square Garden on February 9, 1980, the Soviets crushed the American Olympic squad 10 to 3. In the Olympic tournament, the Soviets stormed through the opposition, undefeated, often by grossly lopsided scores. They, they beat Japan 16 to nothing, the Netherlands 17 to 4, Poland 8 to 1. The day before the match with Team USA, columnist Dave Anderson wrote in the New York Times, unless the ice melts or we experience a miracle, the Russians will win the gold medal. So, February 22nd, no one gave the Americans much hope. But on that day, by the third and final period, amazingly, the game was tied 3-3. Three to three. And with 10 minutes left in the game, U.S. Captain Mike Rizzoni, who was left unattended in the high slot, fired a shot past the Soviet goalkeeper, giving Team USA a 4-3 lead. It's first of the game. The Russians attacked furiously. Moments after Rizzoni's goal, they fired shot after shot at the U.S. goal. Some ricocheting off the goalpost. Others stopped by goalie Jim Craig. The Soviets began to shoot wildly, panicked, as the clock ticked below a minute. The Soviets got the puck back into the American zone and fired shot after shot. Jim Craig kicked away a slap shot with 33 seconds left. Another shot was fired as the clock ticked below 20 seconds. A wild scramble for the puck ensued, ending with Johnson finding the puck, passing it to Morrow. And as the U.S. team tried to clear the zone, the crowd began to count down the seconds left. Sportscaster Al Michaels, who was calling the game for ABC, picked up on the countdown in his broadcast and delivered his now famous call. 11 seconds, you've got 10 seconds, the countdown going on right now, Morrow up to Silk, 5 seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! <laughs> I can only imagine Al Michaels, prior to uttering these now famous words, do you believe in miracles? Thinking to himself, this is unbelievable. I would not believe it myself if I hadn't just seen it with my own eyes. And then he exclaims what everybody is thinking, do you believe in miracles? Yes, yes I do, because I just saw it with my own eyes. Just like Al Michaels bore witness to the miracle on ice and announced it to the world, so John the Evangelist bears witness to the miracle of Christ's resurrection from the dead and announces it to the world. John asks us this morning, do you believe in the miracle of Christ's resurrection from the dead? And he answers, yes, you should, because of my eyewitness account. God this morning is calling you to believe that Jesus rose from the dead through John's eyewitness account in this gospel. 
And the claim on our lives this morning, friends, the claim on our lives is this. And it's in your notes. Believe that Jesus rose from the dead and tell others about it. Believe that Jesus rose from the dead and tell others about it. We're all Al Michaels, and we all have a famous call to make. It's not about a hockey game. It's about eternal life and God of the universe coming as a man, dying on a cross, raising from the dead. Do you believe in miracles, the miracle of the resurrection of Christ? Yes, John says, because I saw it with my own eyes. I saw it with my own eyes. Now, let's look at the text. Turn to John 20, please. Verse 1. John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. John saw and believed according to verse 8. What did John see? John saw a linen grave cloth. He saw a face cloth that was folded up neatly, separate from the linen grave cloth. And what did this tell John? It told John that Jesus' body had not either been stolen by grave robbers, which was common back then, nor had it been moved by some gardener to get a stinking criminal out of a rich man's tomb. No. Grave robbers do not typically unwind dead bodies from their grave claws, and they certainly don't fold nice and neatly little face claws and put them in a little stack. No. This was what Jesus had said he would do. John saw, verse 8, and he believed. He believed what Jesus said in John 16, verses 16 to 22. He believed Jesus' own words when Jesus said to his own disciples on the night before his crucifixion. John 16, 16. A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you may have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, 
and no one will take your joy from you. John saw and he knew that this meant that Jesus had gone back to be with the Father. And he believed. He said to himself, do I believe in miracles? Well, yes, I do. Because I see one right in front of me. Now, let me just hasten to add something. He didn't fully understand the miracle. Look at verse 9 of John 20. Look at verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. But he would understand it. He would understand it when the spirit would be given to him. Let me just take a moment and give you a quick example of this. Turn to Acts 2, verse 25. Acts 2, verse 25 is going to be describing to us the very first sermon that was ever preached in the church age by Peter. Peter's preaching before 3,000 people. No longer is Peter hiding in a room because he's afraid of the Jews. He's actually preaching in the temple area to 3,000 plus people. Listen to what Peter says. Acts 2.25. Peter begins to preach. He's in his preaching. He begins to go into this text. Acts 2.25. For David says concerning him, the him there is Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter just finished quoting Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. You can just jot that down. Acts 2.25 Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. He just finished quoting that psalm. And then look what he says in verse 29. He's going to interpret that psalm now. Because the Spirit of God has been given to him. He just was baptized in the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, having understanding, understanding the scriptures that spoke about Jesus' resurrection. Remember today we're talking a theology of resurrection that's connected to the theology of crucifixion, that's anticipating the theology of ascension. It's all together, one gospel, And Jesus has ascended now to the Father and sent the Spirit. Now listen to what the Spirit has taught Peter. Look at verse 29 of Acts 2. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and sought and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. And he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Do you believe in miracles? Yes, because I've seen it. That's what he's saying. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing. John saw, John believed, and John understood. Do you see? Do you believe? Do you understand what the scriptures say that Jesus might raise from the dead? Point one, believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Look at Mary, picking up the narrative in John chapter 20, verse 11. Look at Mary. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. 
They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Woman, who are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Do you see the Lord, dear friend, this morning? Do you recognize him? He's bigger and more powerful than you think. Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead and can transform any situation by his resurrection power? Jesus asked Mary why she was weeping and whom she was seeking. What are your thoughts of God today? Whom are you seeking? Are you seeking the God of the Bible who rose from the dead? Or some small, pathetic creation of your own mind? Oh, hear the Lord call your name, dear friends, as he called Mary's name. And may your eyes be opened as Mary's eyes were opened when he calls you by name. Believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Thomas, still on this first point of believing. Thomas, oh dear Thomas, if John saw and believed, if Mary saw and obeyed, because she obeyed the Lord and went and told the disciples what she saw, Thomas saw and worshipped. Thomas saw and worshipped. Picking up the narrative now in verse 24. Verse 24. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Now listen, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. We pick up the eyewitness account of John after Jesus' first appearance to his disciples. Thomas apparently wasn't there. And so when he shows up later, his friends say to him, Hey, we've seen the Lord. Thomas responds, No way am I going to believe that. I saw him. I saw him dead, crucified. I saw the spear in his side. He is dead. I will never believe that he's alive unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my hand on his side. Well, eight days later, Thomas gets his wish. That's right. 
That's right. Eight days after this bold declaration of unbelief, Thomas is confronted with the risen Lord. The very one Thomas said he would never believe in, would never believe that he was alive, comes and stands in front of Thomas, very much alive, and says to him, Okay, Thomas, you wanted to put your finger into the mark of the nails and place your hand onto my side? Here you go. Friend, this message reveals God's mercy on us. Jesus stooped to Thomas's unbelief to bring him to faith. And he will stoop to your unbelief to bring you to faith. As we learn from this text, Jesus hears our every words. And he obviously heard Thomas's challenge of unbelief. And he knows our every thoughts. And by his wonderful mercy, he comes to us. And he overcomes our reluctance and our unbelief. May he come to you this morning, dear friends, and overcome your reluctance and your unbelief. Look what he says to Thomas. He says it to all of us in verse 27. Look what he says to Thomas. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And how did Thomas respond? He responded with worship. Verse 28. My Lord and my God. Thomas realized that he was talking with God face to face. He saw the risen Lord and worshipped him. And he gave one of the great confessions of faith in Scripture. My Lord and my God. Not just the Lord, the God, my Lord, my God. He wants to come and overcome your unbelief, dear friend. Those of you seated here who are unbelievers, I appeal to you, hear God say this morning, do not disbelieve, but believe. God will stoop to your unbelief. Overcome your reluctance. Overcome your reluctance. I love what it says in verse 29. Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Remember what our main point is here. Believe that Jesus rose from the dead and tell others about it. We're still in that same first part. Believe, believe. God is saying this. Blessed are those who have seen and yet have believed. Excuse me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you and me though we have not seen him physically, but we have read of him and believed eyewitness accounts. I doubt any of you were at Lake Placid in 1980, but you believe it happened because of Al Michaels' eyewitness account. We weren't there, but blessed are we who believe though we have not seen him physically. We've seen him in the scriptures. We've seen him in the word. We can say, I believe, and having believed now, we are called to go and tell others. We are called now to tell others. Look at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. In this passage here, in these verses, you have a very wonderful, deep, theologically rich filet mignon steak. Because what you have here is you have the the, the culmination of the first 18 verses. Believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now you you have God's claim on your life. Go tell someone. Go tell someone. And in this claim on your life, he's going to tie the resurrection, okay? Here I am, look, my hands, my side, with the crucifixion, the gospel of Jesus' death on the cross for them, showing him his wounds. And he's going to anticipate the ascension when he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. He's anticipating the day of Pentecost, which can only happen when Jesus ascends to the Father, because previous he said, the Spirit can't come unless I leave, so don't be sad that I'm leaving. Someone really better for you who's going to be with you, in you, is going to, be, is going to live in, inside of you. So it's anticipating the ascension. It's, it's, it's referencing the crucifixion as the resurrected Lord is talking with his disciples and saying, I send you as the Father sent me. All right, let's look at it. Good stuff. In your notes, number two. Not only do we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but believe that Jesus sends us as the Father sent him. How did the Father send Jesus? Well, first of all, the Father sent Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Take a look briefly at John 1.32. John 1.32. What are we doing here? We're seeing where the gospel, the resurrection is what we're preaching this morning, is referencing the crucifixion, anticipating the ascension. But, but we're looking at how was Jesus sent. He was sent full of the Holy Spirit. Look at John 1.32. And John bore witness, quoting now John, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And then look at John 14, verses 25 and 29. These would be great passages to write down in your notes. How does, God, how does, how does Jesus send us? He, send, he sends us as the Father sent him. How did the Father send him? Full of the Holy Spirit. Now look at this, verse 14 of John, chapter 14, verse 25. Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, that's why John couldn't understand fully the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Even though when he peered into the, to the tomb and he saw the grave clothes, he, he said, oh, I believe. But he didn't quite understand. So then 50 days later, after the Spirit had been given because Jesus had ascended to the Father, then John understood He actually helped Peter put together that first sermon. I wish he would have helped me put this sermon together yesterday. But he helped Peter put together the first sermon. He said, Peter, here's the deal, pal. Psalm 16, 8 through 11. Yep, that's the Lord. You're right, John. So when you preach it, preach this. Right, you're right. They understood. Okay? Because here in John 14, Jesus says you won't understand until the Spirit's given. Then look at verse 27 of John 14. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. 
This Shalom Alechim, which is what he said three times to them after he resurrected. Peace be with you. Shalom Alechim. You need to hear that when someone just appears to you through locked doors and walls, okay? You need some reassurance. Peace be with you. I come in peace, you know. Uh, oh, great. Don't kill me, please. Um, but he says it here. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. Do you see the ascension there? See the ascension tied to the resurrection, tied to the crucifixion. Get excited about this, man. This is the most important thing in your life. Thank you. This is more important even the Olympics miracle on ice. Even more important than Gator football. Definitely. Okay. Okay, don't get carnal on me here. Come on. All right. John 14, 28. And stop distracting me. John 14, 28. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. This is redemptive history. This is God. This is what the angels are rejoicing in. This is, this is the stuff, man. Write songs about this. Write stories about this. Think about this. Live this. This is the resurrection. This is God acting, stooping to our unbelief to save us. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place. Why? So that when it does take place, you may what? Believe. Oh, books about believing. Okay, now here's the tie-in. How did Jesus send them? Full of the Spirit. Why? Because it's a big, bad world he's sending them into. But what does Jesus say here in John 14? He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why should their hearts not be troubled? Why should they not be afraid? Here's why. Because Jesus overcomes the world. Jesus overcomes the world. Look at, jot down John 16, 33. John 16, 33, staying on this idea of Jesus sends us as the Father sent him. How does Jesus send us? He sends us full of the Holy Spirit. And one of the features of being full of the Holy Spirit is I'm not afraid of the world. What, what happened was Jesus called them out of the world. And now he's sending them back into the world. Jesus started being outside the world. He was in heaven, right? And he came into the world. So we are being sent like Jesus was sent. Aliens into a world that we no longer belong to. But it's a big, bad world, right? Some of you know that world. We all came from that world. Some of you still have the stench of that world on you. It's not a joke. You're not saved. Playing the game, but you're not saved. It's okay. The Lord knows what you're thinking and what you're saying. I hope he suddenly appears to you in a jaw-dropping, life-changing manner. Amen. Amen. Let me know what happens, because I love those stories. Back to the original message here. So how does he send us? He send, sends us full of the Spirit, and look at John 16.33. John 16.33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have what? Peace. Is it up there? It is. You guys are amazing. In me, you, and you may have peace. Shalom. In the world you have what? Tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. A dead guy that's now alive has the right to say, I've overcome the world. 
Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Because there he is. There he is. There he is. How does he send us? Next, not only does he send us full of the Holy Spirit, but he sends us obedient to the Father. Look, I don't have time to get into this one as deeply because I want to get into the third and final point, but here's the deal. Jesus did nothing but what the Father sent him to do. Jesus sends us not as free agents, okay? He doesn't send us as free agents to do our own thing, all right? He sends us as submitted, humble sons and daughters because that's how he came. How did the Father send the Son? The Father sent the Son as an obedient son. How does the Father send us as obedient sons and daughters? Let me just give you two scriptures to jot down. John 5.19, John 5.19, and John 8.29. No time to get into those. Study those this Wednesday night in your home group. John 5.19, John 8.29. Point number three. Point number one, believe that Jesus rose from the dead because there are eyewitness accounts. We're reading them. Point number two, believe that Jesus sends us. He sends us as the Father sent him. Full of the Spirit, obedient sons. Point number three. Point number three. Tell others about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Tell others about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, we've got to tell them. So you're saying to me, great, Al, what do I tell them? What do I tell them? Well, look at your notes. Tell them that the resurrection of Jesus Christ secures our forgiveness. Now we have got the intersection of the crucifixion, of the resurrection, and of the ascension. We've got all three working together in a powerful unity, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go back to uh, chapter 20 of John, verse 19. Chapter 20 of of John, verse 19. Go back there. Let's pick this up again. This is the first time Jesus shows up to his disciples. This is the meeting that Thomas sadly missed, for which he paid dearly later. So what's the point of this passage? Don't miss church. Nah, just kidding, man. If, any pra- if a pastor tries to make that point, say, nah, it's not, what, it's not what it's saying, pastor. Tempting to make the point, but it's not what it's saying. All right, John twenty nineteen says this. On the evening of that day, what day? What day are we at right now? Sunday. Sunday. First day of the week, resurrection day. It's the evening now. In the morning, it began with Mary Magdalene going to the tomb. Peter and John running there, checking it out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Angels talking to Mary. Now we're in the evening. They're buzzing. They're talking. Peter's saying, I believe. Or excuse me, John says, I believe. Peter says, ain't no way. Thomas isn't even there. Okay? But listen to what happened. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Oh, man, God doesn't want us locked behind doors of the church for fear of the culture. He sends us into the culture. Lambs among wolves. But he says, look, I've overcome. Trust me. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Shalom Aleichem. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Do you see what he's doing there? He's tying the resurrection with the crucifixion. This is redemptive history. This is redemptive revelation. This is God pulling back the curtain of the, of, of the councils of the Godhead, the eternal councils of God, and saying, look, I'm resurrected. I was crucified. I will be ascended. Oh, Lord, give us that revelation. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They didn't get it yet. They're just glad he's there. Dude, he's alive. John, you're right. 
Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's weird. But the next one's even weirder. Admit it, this is weird, right? Come on. I mean, you're thinking, what? Breathed on him. Receive the Holy Spirit. What's going on? Well, if you're wondering what's going on there, put on your seatbelt. Because here's the next part. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What? That sounds cultish. Well, it's not. Let me explain. Okay? Let's slow down. Keep that scripture up there. Slow down, Al. I'm slowing down now. Notice that the giving of the Holy Spirit, verse 22, is tied with the forgiveness of sins, verse 23. Verse 23, the forgiveness of sins can only occur through the preaching of the gospel, which ties it certainly to everything that preceded it. Jesus' miraculous birth, the incarnation, his perfect life, but more specifically here, to his death. Remember when he came in, what's the first thing he did? He says peace, and then what does he do? What he's saying to you, Mario, is he's saying, I died for you. Remember that. I died for you. Then what he's saying, your sins will be forgiven you because I rose from the dead. Because the resurrection from the dead means that God the Father accepted the work of God the Son. He validates it. He vindicates the Son. The Son's no longer dead. The Father killed him. The Father killed him. He should have killed you. And he killed him. And the father raised him from the dead and said, paid in full. And Jesus, symbolically anticipating the day of Pentecost. Now, some say he didn't breathe on them or in them. You stand with me? You, you there? This is better than Giants football, bro. Okay, just, just so you know that. You know it is, okay? Some say he maybe breathed on him. Some say he just... Okay, we have to be careful here. But here's the deal. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. So in these two verses, actually in, these, in this segment here, 19 to 23, we've got the crucifixion, the wounds, the resurrection, the, re, the, the, the resurrection, forgiveness of sins, and the ascension, because remember, by Jesus' own words, no time to look at this, but it's all in John. For sure in John 7. Somewhere in John 7 you'll find it. I remember that. He says, I can't give the Spirit until I'm up with the Father, and the Father and the Son will give the Spirit. So packaged in these, in these verses is the gospel. And what it means when it says, if you forgive the sins of many, they are forgiven, and if you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Let me just help you. Actually, before I get to that, let me verify one thing for you. Okay, before I get, I'm going to get to that. So put that on hold. 
you're, ask, you're saying to me, Al, how can you say that the resurrection is about the forgiveness of sins? Here's how I can say it. Jot this down. 1 Corinthians 15. Just jot this down. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 to 19. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 to 19. Verify that it's the resurrection where our sins are forgiven. All right? Yeah, I know. Al, I thought it was on the cross our sins forgiven. Yes. I thought, I thought the resurrection. Yes. See, what we want to do is we want to separate the gospel, don't we? It's what, that's John's point here. It's a package deal. Okay? His, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, God sees them as one. It's God's plan. Okay? But look at 1 Corinthians 15, 14. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. You're missing a great opportunity, man. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. Well, they missed it three times. All right. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Oh, my. Oh, my. And this is from the guy who said, I preach Christ crucified. That's it. But see, you, you can't preach Christ crucified without preaching Christ resurrected, without preaching Christ ascended. They go together. Crucified, resurrected, ascended. That's the point here. Okay? So back to verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead when he did not raise when he, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 17, your faith is futile. And what? You are still in your sins. You're still in your sins. When Paul preached the gospel to the kings, Festus and Agrippa, at the end of Acts 29, 28, 29, there you go. He preaches the resurrection and they say, you're an idiot. Paul, your great learning has made you crazy. He says, no, it hasn't. This is the key. If he's not raised from the dead, we're all in our sins. And look at verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep, dead, those who have died, in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life alone, we are of all people most to be pitied. So our resurrection, our declaration of the resurrection is a declaration of forgiveness of sins. Christ's resurrection secures the forgiveness of my sins. And secondly, Christ's resurrection, this is why you have to preach it, secures hope. Christ's resurrection secures hope. My hope is not in our economy. My hope is not in our president. My hope is not in any person. It's not in myself. It's not in you. It's not in a bank account. My hope is in Christ's resurrection from the dead. Why? Because it's the future hope of eternal life that Christ's immortal, resurrected body offers me. So you've got to understand something. Until Jesus rose from the dead, there had never been a human being who had died and then come back in a different, immortal, resurrected body. Yes, Lazarus was, was raised from the dead. But what was the big difference between Lazarus being raised from the dead, one of the big differences in Jesus? How did Lazarus come out of that tomb? I'm alive! He was all wrapped up, guys. Jesus' body went right through the grave clothes. 
went right through the walls. Went right through the locked doors. May may he go right through the locked doors of your heart and confront you. And confront you. I can't wait till that happens for some of you. I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, man. I'm going to pray for that right now. Father, I thank you for your work. We're not done yet, so don't put away your books, all right? Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are so humble that you take proud, arrogant idiots like us who say, I will never believe. And you, you go through locked doors and walls made of steel and you stand in front of us and you say, here, put your hand in my, my side. Touch the nail prints in my hands. Will you believe now? I pray that would happen in hard hearts right now and that they would fall down before you and say, my Lord, my God, in Jesus name. Well, anyways, why do I have hope? Because now all of a sudden you've got a dead man who's resurrected to a new immortal man. Listen, the the theology of the resurrection ties Christ pre crucified body with his post-resurrection body. The crucifixion tie, the, the resurrection ties the crucifixion and the ascension. And the ascension empowers the resurrection and the crucifixion. So that the ascension gives us the spirit that applies the redemptive work that Christ did in his body on the cross. And that connection, that connection between Christ's pre-crucifixion body And his post-resurrection body. Two different bodies. Never been done before. That gives me hope. Because that post-resurrection immortal body is the body he promises you and me. He takes the death and disease and destruction and decay that we're all susceptible to. The earthquakes we experience. The disease. The aging. The everything. And he says, I am going to redeem it back to the immortal body that lives with God forever and ever. And when he does that in the body of Jesus, he promises he's going to do it for this heavens and the earth so that one day we're going to have resurrected bodies in a new heaven and a new earth. That's my hope. That's my hope. That's my hope. And number two, not only does the resurrection of Jesus secure my hope for future eternal life, but, oh, friends, the resurrection from the dead secures my hope for present change present change look at first john three write this down first john three two and three first john three two and three jesus rose from the dead as the firstborn of the dead the firstborn of many sons and daughters who will follow him we will follow him when he comes back if we're alive boom we'll be instantly transformed in a blinking of an eye into a resurrected body if if we're dead at that point our bodies will raise from the grave and we'll get glorified bodies that are physical bodies jesus ate jesus was was there you could even touch him i don't understand it neither do you but it's really cool it's a lot of things i don't understand that are really cool and i benefit from like osmosis. That's right. But look at 1 John 3, 2 and 3. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. You guys are getting good, man. Beloved, beloved, we are God's children now, 
And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You fighting sin, let the hope of the resurrection give you victory, give you courage and backbone. You're going to be different. You're going to look like Jesus one day. I know it stuns everybody around you, but it's going to happen. And your character will look like Jesus because he died with that purpose and he rose with that purpose and he ascended with that purpose and the spirit is given with that purpose. Amen? Let's pray. Father, what truth in John 20? What truth in John 20? Oh my. My mind can't capture it all, Lord. But I know it's true. And I look forward to all the rest of my life exploring this chapter further in detail. And thinking about the resurrection, your resurrection, further in detail. And applying the resurrection to to my life and the life of my children and my wife and this church. That it would give me hope. That it secures my hope. It secures my forgiveness. That when I feel condemned, when I feel like I'm trying to have self-effort and self-righteousness and self-atonement, I say, no, Jesus rose from the dead and says, your sins are forgiven, Al. And when I despair about ever changing in these areas of my character, I would say, I will be like him. I will see him. He will transform this body, this decaying body, into a glorious immortal body. And I will live for him forever and ever in a new heavens, in a new earth, and all creation that groans right now will say, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, and you will come one day and transform us. So Lord, as we sing this song, may we, may we, may we commit our hearts to you. May may, may we commit our hearts to you and say, see what a morning, glorious and bright, with the dawning of hope in Jerusalem. Folded grave clothes, tomb filled with light, as the angels announce Christ is risen. See God's salvation plan wrought in love, born in pain, paid in sacrifice, fulfilled in Christ, the man, for he lives Christ is risen from the dead. Stand with me and let's sing this song together with all of our hearts.